As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down the river. Good morning, and welcome to our worship here this morning. I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and we certainly are glad to see each and every one of you. A special welcome to our uh, visitors. Uh, we would like all of our visitors and our members to remember to check in this morning. Uh, the number is behind me, or you've got the pew cards in front of you with instructions on how to check in so we can have a record of your attendance. First time visitors, if you're here, you would like you to take that cue card, fill it out, uh, and take it back to our welcome information center. Uh, and we have a special gift for you this morning for your attendance. Also, I noticed when I came in, hopefully you picked up your communion cup. Just to let you know, there's, uh, uh, I picked up a new one, okay? So don't think there's no bread in it. It's on the underside. Okay, so look at that in case you think, what's wrong with my communion cup? It's all there, just the bread's on the bottom side of it. As we continue our worship this morning, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today to praise and glorify your name. We thank you for the rain. You bring us the change in the seasons, always something new in your creation. You graciously provide us with your mercy through your Son. You give us your Spirit that strengthens and, and guides us in your grace and love. There's just so much to praise you for. We also call on you to help us in times of weakness. There are many in our congregation who are in life struggles, and we just ask that you be with them. Guide us to be your loving hands that embrace them, 
and help them in their time of need. We're especially thoughtful now of those who have recently suffered through the hurricane that hit Florida and other parts of the southeast, and we ask that you would be with them in their recovery. And we're thankful for the services that SGSO provides for these people to get back on their feet. May our generosity to this and other efforts glorify your name. And now, let, us pray, let our praise to you be acceptable. May we demonstrate our love and faithfulness to you as you have shown your love and faithfulness to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Hear the words of the Lord from Psalms 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Thank you, Phil. Church, let's stand and let's, uh, let's offer our voices in worship this morning. On
As we enter into our time of communion this morning, we're going to sing one more song and then Brett Colors will come and lead us around the bread and cup this morning. many people that get up here, you always think, okay, I've got this planned out. And then yesterday happens. Um, and so my thought process changed uh, as most of it. Well, I'll say as some of us are, we're sports fans, follow sports, watch sports, enjoy sports. And so as one broadcaster said, yesterday was the greatest day of upsets in the history. Not so sure about that, but there were a lot of upsets. A lot of us think about college football initially, but there were upsets in major league baseball as well. But I like, as people in my class know, I like to draw lessons, I guess, or insights or thoughts from sports events or sports stories. And yesterday really started weighing on me, I guess, or inspiring me or whatever you might call this, but upsets are relative, right? I mean, because a number 13 upsets a number eight. Is that an upset or is it just because we think it's an upset? You know, growing up, there was a phrase that you don't hear much anymore about, oh, well, you're reading the tea leaves, right? My dad one time said, you know, they're only reading one side of the leaves, don't you? <laughs> and so I thought about that. I remembered that. Uh, I remember a lot of things he said. But if you flip it over on the other side, it may look completely different. And to me, that's what this time this morning, in a way, is because even I think the disciples never really understood until Christ went through that death and resurrection about really what was happening. I told him about it. I'm sure he told them about it, I'm sure, many times. But it's once you live through something, it's like, oh, now I get it. And we get to see this almost 2,000 years later in the words that he said to them in his final meal, right? Remember me. Do this and remember me. 
And that's what we get to do this morning. So as you take the new cup or the old cup and take that piece of bread, remember that that represents his body. And that the grace we sing about, the love we sing about, we get to enjoy that because of what he did. So if you will pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we take this moment to try to lock out the world and do just what you instructed us to remember you. Your example, your teachings, the love and the grace that you still have for us every day. Thank you for that as we remember that and thank you for your sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we get to also remember just a part of that, which I really always have a hard time grasping because to hang on a cross for hours while you slowly, energy and life drains away. I think it was his decision. He gave up. He knew when. But we drink this now also in memory of that sacrifice. If you'll pray with me again. Dear Heavenly Father, we do, it seems so trivial to say thank you, but the, the blessings, the life that we have because of Jesus, it's the other side of the tea leaf. People see the world one way and we get to see it from your perspective. We thank you for your grace and Jesus' sacrifice and it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Church, we're tying a quilt today for Milana Cowley. You'll notice that quilt out in the foyer. Please stop by there and pray. Uh, today is also the last time to, or the last day to register for the golf tournament. So please take advantage of that. And also Pumpkin Fest signups are still going on. We still have lots of places for you to serve. So please check that out and sign up. Lots of ways to give here. Lots of ways to serve. You can give in the, uh, the, the box that is out in the foyer. You can give online. And uh, however you choose to give to further the good works of this church, the the good works of him, church, the good works of him in this place. Thank you. This is such a generous church, and uh, we want to work together to build up the body of Christ in this place. And, and thank you, Brett, for, for helping us remember. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, you are good and holy and mighty. And as we have just spent time remembering and honoring and worshiping and celebrating sacrifice and resurrection, Father, we honor you. Jesus, we honor you. May what we give honor you. May what we give Express our worship to you. Bless us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's watch a little bit about small group ministry. For several decades, the small group ministry has been extremely important to this church. Fellowship meals, sharing personal concerns, joys, and needs, a place of communal prayer, the study of God's Word. In fact, a practical discussion of each week's Sunday morning sermon is written and made available to all groups. Our group members know each other and take care of each other. They share their time, their energy, and they share each other's very lives. There are groups for all stages of life, from our youth ministry to single adults, to all the stages of marriage and family and empty nest. And they are led by a large company of amazing small group leaders who would love to answer all your questions and tell you all about their group. And you can find a list of the groups on our website and in our small group brochure in the foyer. We encourage you to join a group and to begin to discover the deeper levels of fellowship that you will find there. All right, church, let's stand. We're going to send kids up to Children's Church. And we're going to sing one more song, and then Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. Good old 728B. Y'all remember this one? All right, here we go. There is beyond the God is alive. Yeah. And he is active in this church. He's active through us. He's active in ways that we see and understand, in ways that we don't see 
and that we don't understand, and we praise him. He is good. He is wise. I, hey, yesterday I was throwing frisbees with a friend of mine named Jeremy who lives in Burleson, and he asked me, he said, hey, could I sign up to help at y'all's pumpkin fest? And I was like, absolutely. So I, gave, I texted him the link of the sign-ups yesterday, and I, I was telling him how to do a, a trunk for his Prius. Um, and uh, hey, we've got a lot of, I, I put a video out a couple of days ago, but we had <laughs> like over 2,400 people last year. Not, not like I said, 1,600 a few weeks ago. No, we had over 20, it was 2,470 last year. So our neighbors are showing up, and we need this church to show up uh, so that we can love them, connect with them. It is probably the day each year where we get to do more connecting with neighbors than any other day. So let's show up and get to know them and let them know that we love them, and it's fun. It's a fun way to serve. Back to the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, start in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so as we get closer and closer to the big finale of this epic sermon by Jesus, we get this truly transformative and I think deeply personal teaching because it has to do with who we are. At our core, we are children of God. And that identity will affect the way that we live out our days on earth. Do you see God as your father? Do you go beyond seeing him here with your mind? Do you feel it in your bones? Do you feel his love? Do you feel secure in the promises your father makes to you? As A.W. Tozer wrote, and I think this is true and very profound, he said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind? When you think about God, you might identify with my story. Um, I guess I hope you don't, but I bet a lot of you do. Uh, until really my mid-20s, my faith was kind of entirely defined by two things. By knowing and by doing. Knowing what was in the Bible. Being a good student of God's Word, constantly adding information and data about what was in the Bible, and then doing, doing. Doing meant things like showing up on Sunday, attending church. Doing meant things like giving. Doing like, meant things like occasionally signing up for a ministry opportunity at my church. Which, by the way, those are good things. <laughs> I mean, those are both really good things. Knowing more of God's Word is a good thing. Absolutely. And doing more good works to glorify God. That's a good thing. But I failed to appreciate the bigger question. The core question. The identity issue that was given to me in Jesus. It's not something that I'm going to accrue for myself. It's not something that I'm going to do for myself. That which I received, that grace given me through Jesus that now I am a child of the Father. So Jesus' words in Matthew 7, they really connected with me this week. I hope they connect with you as well. And I think it ties in this idea of me as a child and the Father and how a good father treats a child and how a child asks and seeks the Father. 
But these words earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, way back in chapter 5, were frankly, maybe to us not so much, but to the original listeners may have been the most shocking statement of the entire sermon. When Jesus said in 520, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. No one, no one was out knowing the Pharisees. There was nobody around Israel at that time outdoing the Pharisees either. Their whole lives revolved around doing good deeds down to the smallest details. And so my righteousness must surpass theirs. I mean, isn't that kind of the equivalent of saying you, you need to go line up and outrun Usain Bolt, or you need to go out on the court and outshoot Steph Curry. I mean, Jesus, is that, is that what you're asking here? If your faith does not exceed theirs, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness has to be greater than theirs. And the good news is, of course, that we have received a righteousness greater than theirs through Jesus According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, we have in fact become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for us. What a, what a relief. Of course, there's more to it than that. There is a new kind of righteousness that we experience, a righteousness as God's children, not as his slaves. So this new identity as a child of God is a big deal. It changes how I relate to God. Frankly, it changes how I see myself and value myself. It changes also, you know, my role in the world, my mission here in my time allotted on earth. One of our members, uh, Steve Singleton, who loves the Word of God who has a deep understanding and is always learning and, and frequently sharing things with me. He shared something with me weeks ago when I read that passage about Jesus saying, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. He wrote me an email. I didn't warn him that I was going to be sharing him as an expert this morning. So, Steve, thank you for sharing this. He wrote, I think Jesus was not saying he wants us to out-Pharisee the Pharisees, but to pursue a righteousness that is of another quality than theirs, they sought to make righteousness action-based, moving an outward obedience wider and wider until it comprehends all of life. Jesus wants instead a righteousness that is heart-based, starting first with our sonship and daughtership relationship with the Father and moving in an outward spiral with an emphasis on sincerity and consistency. His is a greater righteousness, not because it is broader, but because it is deeper. Thank you for that, Steve. So is it important to know and to do? Well, yeah, very much so. Is there great value in knowing more and more of God's Word, doing more and more good work in our community to, to be ambassadors to our neighbors? Yes. But we can't skip the identity question, and that happens a lot of times. That's the primary thing, not the doing, not the knowing. Identity is the primary thing. Um, I tell you that as, I, as a friend who cares about you, uh, I, I've leaned in knowing and I've leaned into doing for many years and I figured out finally that I was missing out on the core of what the gospel is and I don't want other believers to miss out on that. Paul Tripp wrote these words. He said, listen to this, you will either receive your identity vertically or you'll shop for it horizontally. Are you receiving your identity or are you shopping for your identity? If your identity comes from knowing and doing, you're shopping. 
It's up to you. And by the way, most unbelievers, most non-Christians, they live like this. You shop for your identity. My identity is, is in doing more, achieving more, impressing more people, looking better, earning more, knowing, becoming an expert in my field. That's where my identity comes from. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, God is your father. You are his child. Whether you earn much or little, whether other people approve of you or not, whether you are a Mensa genius or not, God is your father. That's the unchangeable truth about who you are. And, and this is a good part there in Matthew 7, he gives good gifts to us, to his children. By the way, mildly insulted me by verse 11, where he starts talking about you fathers who are evil. <laughs> you fathers who are, eh. You guys even know how to good give, give good gifts to your kids. How much more will God, a perfect father, know how to give good gifts to his children? Mildly insulted, but it's kind of true. I have good days. I have bad days. I'm, I'm an okay father. I am. I'm not a perfect father. And I know how to give good gifts to my kids. I already bought my son a really nice Christmas present this year. I know how to give good gifts to my kids. But God, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to his daughters and sons? Now, it's important to note, Jesus says he gives what kind of gifts? Good gifts, okay? And God knows what those are in his wisdom, in his love, in his foresight. He knows what the good gifts are. He's not a celestial sugar daddy who just answers every one of your prayers and requests exactly the way you want. Right? He's not a pushover dad who gives in to his spoiled child at every moment. That's not how he works. He gives good gifts. I'm pretty sure, speaking of my son, uh, there were a couple of years there when he was around three to six where he just wanted to eat Hershey chocolate bars for every meal. That's the only thing he wanted to eat. And they are pretty good. But I was an okay dad. So he didn't eat Hershey chocolate bars for every. He got a few of them, but he also got some greens. He also got some carrots. He got a good diet. A good father knows how to give good things to their children, not just a candy bar diet. And so the father we have, Jesus says in verse 8, he listens to us. Jesus says he responds, he answers when we speak to him, he is engaged in your life, pays attention to you, and he gives good gifts to you. And some of us grew up with a, an idea of God as a father, but a severe and demanding father. And perhaps for you, the idea of God as a father is a little bit scary He's always judging. He's, look, if, if, God, if God is as, as judging and, and condemning as, as, as a lot of his children are, look out, you know? And you kind of had that idea. If that's how you see God, then you're probably not asking for very much. You might be afraid to ask. You're probably not expecting much in the way of good gifts, if that's your perspective on God as your father. Uh, and likely, this is the horrible truth. If that's how you see God as a demanding and severe father, then you probably feel less secure because of your relationship with God. Is that the God Jesus is, is telling us about in Matthew chapter 7? Is that a good news, God? <laughs> Look, listen to Jesus. You'll find the good news. Our heavenly father, we learn in verse 7, in Matthew 7, well, we learn two things about him. He is loving and he is wise. He is loving. He listens to his children, answers his children, gives good gifts. Gifts that bless us, gifts that build us. And who you are, either you receive that identi identity vertically from God or you do shop for it 
horizontally in your life from what you make or what other people say about you. So here's one of the takeaways from this passage this morning. As his children, when we approach our Father, we pray expecting. We pray believing that something is going to happen because our Father, well, our God, he is alive. And he is paying attention to us in our prayers. Years ago, it's been, a, it's been a long time, early in the days of our church planting down in Brazil, I felt moved and shared with the team, and they thought it was a good idea. We started a campaign. We called it Noventa Dias de Vitoria, 90 Days of Victory. And the idea was that for three months, we were going to pray together, pray for each other over big things that we wanted to, needed to see happen in our lives. And so we put a big, I mean, it was five foot by five foot poster up on the wall. And we asked church members to, at the beginning of those 90 days, even before that, write your prayer request up there. And we're going to pray for that for 90 days. And they did. And then the other deal was, if God answers that prayer during these 90 days, you're going to write the answer up there. Different color, but circle it and put your answer by the prayer request. Well, we had to get another poster, John Scott. The five foot by five foot wasn't enough. So we got another poster and put it on the wall. And God was listening and hearing and answering prayers. It was an incredible time for our church. We had people praying for their spouses who were not believers, that they would come to faith. We had people praying for loved ones who were in terminal illness type of situations. We had people praying for spiritual transformation in their own lives. And then for 90 days, we just prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And uh, we, had a, we had a visitor named Georgie who had us praying for his cousin who had a terminal cancer diagnosis and we prayed for his cousin and his cousin got better and Georgie wrote that up on the poster. A dear sister named Cisa whose husband would one day be an elder in Rio, she had us praying for her because she had this cancer diagnosis, ovarian cancer and she showed up at the end of the 90 days and had this big envelope and pulled film out from some testing that she had done with her doctor. And she showed me the film before, and there was this spot there. I wouldn't have known what I was looking at, but there was definitely a white spot there. Ovarian cancer, she pulled out the, the other film, the latest film. There was nothing there. And the doctor's note said, without abnormalities, which that is a beautiful thing, without abnormalities. And we rejoiced over that. One woman who had been praying for her husband to come to faith, we rejoiced in his baptism at the end of those 90 days. It was a, you know, there are these moments in our lives. Every moment is not like this, but there are these moments where you just kind of put the nitro on and you just, <clears throat> you move to the next level in terms of your faith. Rapid growth phase, and that was one of those times for me and I think for our church there as well. We pray as God's children. We trust that he loves us, that he is attentive to us, that he is at work in our lives. We, verse 7, we ask, we seek, we knock. And verse 8, we expect God, our Father, to work. Now, that doesn't mean that he always answers prayers according to the way I want or you want him to answer a prayer. It means he gives good gifts. When I ask, I will receive the good gift he has for me. When I seek, I will find. When I knock, he will open a door for me. Having faith, by the way, means he is in charge of the outcomes. He is the father, I am the child. First John 5, I think, puts this very well. John says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. 
I like that word confidence. That's our confidence. The Father hears, the Father answers, and He will answer according to His perfect wisdom. By the way, if you don't believe that God is alive, if you don't believe that God is still active, that He answers prayers, I would humbly suggest you, you skip over the Sermon on the Mount. You need a God who is still working to make the things Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount come true for you. You need a God who is alive, who hears you as his child, and who is at work in your life for the Sermon on the Mount to make any sense to you. Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 11, his children are blessed when they are persecuted. That's not a normal everyday type of thing, is it? He said in verse 20 that we have to have, as we talked about earlier, a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. That's not a normal thing that you can do on your own. He said in verse 44 of chapter 5, we as his followers live lives where we love our enemies. That's not something I can do on my own, love my enemy. I have to have his help for that. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, I have a life where the Father sees me in secret places, in private spaces, and rewards me. That is a Father who is active in my life. You have a Father who is active in your life, not just in public spheres, but when you are alone. And so this life Jesus calls us to is not one where you are on your own. You are an orphan in the world. If you live as an orphan in the world, spiritually speaking, then it is all up to you. But you have a good father who hears you, who blesses you, who is at work in your day-to-day -day things, work in you and through you that would not otherwise happen. There are things that will only happen in your life because of your relationship to your Father. So pray, the second thing would be pray persistently. Pray to the Father regularly about that situation, that need that is on your heart. Jesus said one time, uh, Luke 18, 1, he taught his disciples to pray and never give up. To pray and never give up, not lose heart. Paul said that we're supposed to pray without ceasing, right? So prayer, it's not like an ATM machine, you know, where I, I, I bow my head and Boop, boop, boop. I type in the code and out comes the answer. That's not the way it works. I have a relationship with God. He is not a, a blessing machine. Prayer is this development, this, this community or communion with the Father. Um, and so when I seek, by the way, I would say this. Too often I think God's children pray about things. It's okay to pray about things. But we pray about the sick person. We pray about the promotion. We pray about the move to New Zealand. We pray about this, that, the other thing, the retirement account. We pray about a lot of things. Jesus says we need to seek. We need to seek. And above all, what does a child seek? A child seeks the Father. We seek a relationship with the Father. So I hope your prayer life is not just about stuff. I hope that when you pray, you seek the Father to grow deeper in that relationship. And then finally, so we pray persistently. We pray big as well. Ask the Father to do things that only He can do. I love the story that Sky Jathani, a Christian author, shared. And I'll, I'm just going to read this. He and his father took, took a trip back to their ancestral homeland of India. He writes, while walking on the streets of New Delhi, a little boy approached us. He was skinny as a rail, naked but for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. Because of his condition, the little boy could only waddle along on his calloused knees. He made his way toward me and my father and he cried out, one rupee, please. One rupee. My father eventually responded to the boy's persistent begging. What do you want? 
One rupee, sir, the boy said while motioning his hand to his mouth and bowing his head in deference. My father chuckled. How about I give you five rupees, my father said. The boy's submissive countenance suddenly became defiant. He retracted his hand. He sneered at us. He thought my father was joking, having a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would willingly give up five rupees. The boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses under his breath. My father reached into his pocket, hearing the coins jingle. The boy stopped and looked back over his shoulder. My father was holding out a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed the coin in his hand. The boy didn't move or say a word. He just stared at the coin in his hand. We passed him and proceeded to cross the street. A moment later, the boy resumed his shouting, except this time he was yelling, Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bless you. And he raced after in his peculiar way after us, but not for more money. He raced after us to touch my father's feet. I wonder if our father sometimes hears our prayer requests and kind of chuckles. That's what you're asking for? You're only praying for that. Trust me for something big. And I wonder if we settle sometimes for measly scraps and our lack of faith holds us back. I think I've shared this with you guys before, but I'll share with you again. It's a regular part of my life. One of the things I do pray for every week, um, I pray for my family, I pray for you, I pray for this church, but toward the end of my prayer, I always pray for China, North Korea, and the Middle East. That they would hear the gospel and that God would protect his people in those places. And since March, I've been praying that God will end the war between Russia and Ukraine, that he will raise up people of peace and knock down people of war. Those are big requests. Those are things I really can't do, but I know my father can. I would hate for those things not to happen just because God's children thought they were too big to pray for. So I'm going to pray for them. And I don't know what those big things are on your heart, but I would encourage you to pray for those. Because you're not trusting in what you can do. You're trusting in what he can do. And there's no limit to what the Father can do. Look, we all have room to grow. Back to the relationship. We all have room to grow in our relationships with the Father. There's a word there in the Greek, zeton, to seek. And we're supposed to seek this, verse 8, deeper relationship with the Father. This side of heaven, we are always seeking. We are not face-to-face with our Heavenly Father yet. But this isn't, this seeking, it's not like it's an on-off switch. Either, whoop, you have a relationship, or nope, it's off. You don't have a relationship. Relationships are things that grow over time. They're th- things that we cultivate, things that we nurture. Um, it's something that we grow into. Tozer once said that we are the children of the burning heart. He said, to have found God... This is a great quote. He said, to have found God and still pursue him, that is the soul's paradox of love. And so I hope that you have found the Father. And I hope that you pursue him like never before. Let's pray together. Lord, we take you at your word today. You promise, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and we will find. Knock, and it will be opened. 
more than anything this morning, we seek you. We ask for more of you. You are our Father, our good and wise Father. Help each one of us to see you that way, to know you that way, and to see ourselves and our brothers and sisters as your precious children. We ask this this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you want to give your life to the Father today, you have access to the Father through Jesus, through what he won for you on the cross. You can confess your faith in the gospel. You can be baptized into Jesus today and enter into this new relationship with the Father. Maybe you just want to place membership, be part of the family here at Preston Crest. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe this morning you need prayers. You need someone to step out in faith with you and come before the throne of the Father because you need to ask for something big that's on your heart. We would encourage you, come down and pray with us, pray with somebody around you, but make sure you connect with the Father this morning. Let's stand. Let's connect with Him in worship as we stand together in praise. Oh, may all who come behind us find us for that message. In fact, let me, uh, let me take a moment. If you'll join me, I'd like to pray one of Paul's prayers that he prayed for us, for the gifts that God can give us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We, of course, want to invite all of you back tonight. Uh, Jacob Hawk will be leading us in the excellent series, Living Hope, a study of First and Second Peter. And I do want to remind you to save the date, February 3rd, and 3rd through 5th. We'll be having our Telling the Story um, evangelism workshop here at Preston Crest. And so make sure you save that date. Please join me with our take-home uh, verse from Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds. And the church said? 